0: You're listening to the Rat Podcast. Explore wealth. Different model a different way, different way of doing business. Mm-hmm. Parts of the country, 24 seven, seven days a week. I was just done with the gurus. If somebody gives me thirty to $50,000, that should be a lifetime relationship for Podcast Nation, because if you give me that kind of money, I have an obligation, in my opinion, a responsibility to see you succeed. What's up, my man? I want to see Kevin. He's a sexy man.
1: There Kevin, are you go. muted, now bro? Muted. Yeah, gotcha. Hey, you didn't think
0: You didn't think we were going to start the podcast with me calling you a sexy man, huh?
1: Well, that's not normally how I'm called, but I'll take it. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: there's at least one 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 pretty lady that calls you a sexy man.
1: Uh, yeah, that, that's to be debated.
0: <laughs> oh, So people are logging in fast and furious. We're going to get started, brother. I'm excited to have a podcast with you. It'd be pretty cool. I have some cool stuff to talk about. So, um, But what's up, man? How's your day?
1: day? is amazing. I'm excited to be here. My day started at 530 this morning, and I've been running around like a like a jackrabbit and just got back home in time to do this with you. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast.
0: Oh, Cool, brother. So, I mean, what are your thoughts, of, man? Um, Russia invades Ukraine. Um, I'm sitting here Googling how many nuclear weapons Russia has and, and what the U.S.'s uh, defense of uh, potential nuclear threats are in our missile defense system and stuff. So, you know, what are, what, what are you thinking about all this stuff, that's all the craziness that's going on?
1: You know, I'm old enough to remember when Reagan said a thousand points of light, or maybe it was Bush, and they were talking about a missile defense system way back then. You know, kind of makes sense now. And I've seen video where the uh, the Ukrainian president was offering arms and weapons to any citizen who would stand up and fight. It kind of gives me a whole new respect for our country and what freedom really means and what the Second Amendment really means.
0: Well, it's a good thing that. We have more arms than people in America, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 400 million from what I heard.
0: Right? That's pretty crazy. But, you know, so, you know, a friend of mine was talking like, well, what what do we do? Right? What can the U.S. do? He was like, well, you know, like, I was like, well, we're not going to, we don't want to go to war with Russia. At least not a, you know, a real war, you know, not a combat, you know, mano a mano kind of war. um, Because, you know, we care about our people a lot more than they do. And, uh, you know, when it came comes down to it, nobody wins in a nuclear fight, right? So.
1: Yeah, certainly. You know, and we don't want complete annihilation. Remember the, the movie War Games? So, yeah. You know, I think personally we've been in a world war for many years, and it's not been with military. I think it's been with, you know, information and technology and things happening behind closed doors.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a word that goes on. You know that people we don't talk about, right? You know when you know you see China and Russia work synchronously, you know both shutting down crypto, right? Um, it's you know fascinating that both of the communist countries, largest communist countries in the world, you know both shut down their cryptocurrencies. Um, you know it's kind of interesting to watch. But one of the things my friend asked me he was like, he said he said, well, why do we sell them stuff and give them money and make them money if they're at, you know, at a cold war with us and Told him I said, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I really have that that answer. So I said, you know what? Let me ask Kevin tomorrow and see what he thinks. I'm throwing stuff at you right <laughs> off the bat, bro.
1: Right off the bat. Well, you know, I, I started asking myself questions like, well, where does barisma come into all this? Where where does, you know, some backdoor dealings happen to come into play that, you know, now that administration's changed every couple of years, of course, we know that. But, you know, are, are is is Russia trying to clean up a mess somewhere that we don't know about? You know, obviously. Hmm. Anytime something happens, there's what you see on the news, and there's what's really happening behind closed doors. And obviously, right. what you see on the news is what they want us to see, you know, without becoming too much of a conspiracy theorist that,
0: well, you know, I mean, I think there's conspiracy theory, and there's reality, right? You can play around with conspiracy theory and say, you know, why are the two richest men in the world building their own spaceships, you know, to leave our to leave our world? Or you can say, you know, for I was saying, if you go back and look, you know, a video, you know, twelve months, eighteen months ago, I was, Definitely saying I feel like we're at a cold war, you know, with Russia and China that people don't talk about or you can call it a digital war. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, there's a good chance that, you know, Russia will invade more countries. And, you know, the scary thing is, if a, you know, one of those countries does what they do and then realize they can handle the repercussions, then what do they do next?
1: Right. They can just keep going until someone stops them.
0: So, you know, it's fascinating. You know, the market's been insane, right? The last 24 hours, just trying to tell people they want to listen. Um, you know, I was communicating and letting them know, like, hey, stock's about to be a yo-yo again um, and those kind of things. So, I mean, you're you're an investor, you know. How are you looking at, you know, the general landscape?
1: You know, it's funny because uh, when people hear the word investor, they automatically think paper assets. They think stock market. and And some people just don't even really think about the stock market. Just think about the Dow Jones. Like, oh, the market's up, the market's down. Okay. They're talking about 30 different companies. As an investor, I don't really keep a lot of my portfolio in paper assets. I put it into real estate. I put it into physical silver. I put it into other things that are not going to fluctuate with the changes of war or the changes of the stock market crash. So you know, I like to hedge my bets. I've been investing in, in real estate and silver for many years. And so if the If the stock market goes up or down, it doesn't really affect me too much. I mean, I know silver is up to 25 today, and I've bought silver for much cheaper than that. So, you know, I know my real estate's going to go up in value. It's going to go up in equity. There's going to continue to be rent coming in. And I know that there's going to continue to be a profit on a flip. So, I'm not so concerned with paper assets at the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting. You know, like when you first, I think when you first, I first met you, you were transitioning between, uh careers and uh were you in the jewelry business i'm trying to try to remember when i first met you
1: yeah so i remember let's see i think it was around 2017 18 i think it was 2018 and by that point i had been in the jewelry industry for almost 25 years Mm -hmm. the first 20 years of that i had spent running very high-end luxury stores including three flagships on madison avenue in new york city and at that point, you know, I had already been through a divorce. I had three young children. I was trying to find a way desperately to get out of retail. I'd spent 20 years running stores and I just, I wanted out. You know, I just I was spending nights and weekends working in stores. I was commuting two hours into New York City. I would, every holiday, I'd be that guy that would get up early on a Friday after Thanksgiving and go into my store. And so I wanted out. And when I met you, it's because I had been following some of the stuff on social, but following some of the, the trips you had been doing and some of the properties you had bought at auction. And I met you and unfortunately and also your brother at one of the uh, auction trips in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, I, I find that, you know, people that have been in your position, right? Um, if there's any way to mute the dings, that would be amazing. I find people in your position over the years, right? That are that are grind, work hard, work their absolute butts off. Like one of the first things you said when you jumped on today is like, I've been up since 5 a.m., Right. Um, I find that people that get into that retail grind, um, I find that it's hard for them to even have the bandwidth to think outside of their day-to-day because their day-to-day is so intense and overwhelming over yeah. their over their whole life. And I know Dory, my brother Dory, came from that world, you know, a different industry, but still the same, same retail world. And it's tough. It's tough when you're trying to, you know, establish a family. You're trying to establish a life. You're trying to build foundation. You're trying to build wealth. And so when you came to us, you know, financially, you weren't in, you know, desperate places, but you weren't in a a great place, you know, by, by any means at all. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, that leap of faith, you know, with, with, you know, us and, and, you know, cause you're in a, you know, really pretty good financial place now. So kind of just share everybody with that journey a little bit.
1: You know, I imagine I was probably at the point that a lot of people in America are at. You know, they're working their job, they're living paycheck to paycheck, they're struggling to get by. You know, they've got their mortgage or their rent and they're, they're paying their car payment and their bills and whatever it may be. And I was in that position. You know, I, had, I think in my early 20s, throwing a little bit of money into my 401k. And I had been watching you guys for probably a few years. And when I went on that trip, I got that, that trip in Philadelphia where we analyzed, I don't know, maybe hundred properties and we went to visit 50 of them and walked the properties and peeked our eyes through the doors and peeked into the windows, decided what the repairs would be, decided what the you know valuation might be, you know, if it were fixed up at the after repair value. And then actually analyzed it and went to the auction and bid on them. And and seeing that process, seeing how it is all done, and more importantly, seeing you and Dory, that's what really, that's what really turned it around for me because you know. In the retail world, you know, especially in, in luxury goods and jewelry and watches, you meet a lot of people. You meet a lot of people who are wealthy. You meet a lot of CEOs, celebrities. I went to a lot of black tie affairs. I got a pretty good idea of how to read someone. And just sitting down to lunch with you and Dory after going through this process and just seeing how genuine you were and how authentic and how real and how you really came across with like a servant heart to teach people how to do this. That's what really impressed me. And so... You know, I I was not in a financial position where I could just say, hey, I'm going to join the inner circle. I'm, I'm going to go bid on properties because I couldn't do it all myself. But I did figure out a way that I wanted it badly enough that I would take my 401k money, put it in a self-directed IRA and transition that to help invest into the REIT.
0: I mean, explain that to people a little bit, because I think, you know, as we explore wealth and different things, people don't understand, you know, all of the different aspects of what they can and they can't do, what's potentially what's available to them out there when it comes to wealth and it comes to investing and stuff. So, you know, take us, take us through that a little bit.
1: So, like I said, I was probably, you know, just living paycheck to paycheck. I had, I had my house, I had my mortgage, I had all my bills. I didn't have money put aside necessarily to invest. In other other words, what I wanted to do was I wanted to buy properties. I wanted to flip them. I want to rehab them. I want to have, you know, hire contractors, but I didn't have that set aside. What you guys provide is a way to do that. So, I had money sitting in a 401k. Now, when it's in a 401k, you know, those advisors, they decide what to do. They say, I'm going to put it in this you know, S&P 500 fund, or I'm going to put it in this you know, mutual fund that charges fees. And at the end of the year, maybe your, maybe your portfolio went up 10%. But then if you look at all the fees, all those fees are eating away at your returns. So I started to learn a lot about financial education. And I'm going back you know, even, even 10 years ago reading books and trying to find out how the wealthy did it, and and what did they do to create wealth? Well, I've never heard of anybody, except maybe Dave Ramsey, who really says put money in a 401k or a mutual fund. But I've never heard of anybody who retired wealthy because they had a a Fidelity 401k. So I I decided, after doing a lot of research, that the way to do it was to pull that out and put it into a self-directed IRA. So I rolled it over, and in a self-directed IRA, you can tell the custodian where to invest. Now maybe you want to have them invested in paper assets, in a in a company or a fund, or a REIT, or in something else, or in precious metals. And so after doing my due diligence, I looked at a lot of different companies, a lot of different investments. You know, doing things with uh, developers or real realtors or builders, and I decided to take my four hundred one k money, put it into a self directed IRA with one of the, the big custodians. Then from there, I directed it towards you guys to invest with you, and I've been extremely happy <laughs> since then. <laughs> It's done very well for me.
0: Well, cool, man. I, I, I like to hear someone like who's not a, you know, like you're not a pitch. You're not, you're, this is, you know, you're, you have a career, a job, a life, you're investing and you've been through this journey um, from, from where you were to, to where you are today. And, and I, I like to hear that in your words, because I think, you know, it's one thing when other people tell you about stuff, it's another thing when someone talks you through their experience you know, what they've been through when it comes as they're doing these different things. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, you're self-employed, right? And why you're self-employed and how that affects you financially and kind of some of of that journey, you know, for you and and the choices behind that.
1: So this is interesting. So really in 2020, right before the pandemic and right before, you know, everything shut down, I was uh, distributing three brands of watches. Uh, for I was working for a company as a 1099 and distributing three brands of watches to jewelry stores all up and down the eastern United States. I, I covered 25 states; half the U.S. was my territory. Also, right before the pandemic, I had uh, an agreement with a diamond company, and I was distributing loose diamonds to about 110 jewelry stores in the Northeast. I literally would walk around with loose diamonds in my backpack. It was actually kind of dangerous. So, <laughs> the pandemic hits; everything shuts down. I get a phone call from one of the companies saying, hey, um, you know, all the stores are closed. Nobody's paying their bills. Nobody's returning the merchandise. And We have millions of dollars of invoices, millions of dollars of merchandise coming in. You know, we have to separate our agreement. It's like, okay, no problem. I had multiple streams. The very next day, 24 hours later, I got a call from the other company. Same thing, Kevin, all the stores are closed. Nobody's paying their bills. The stores don't even have to make sales. They're not, they don't have customers. We have to separate our agreement. And so here I was, probably 3 months without income because i realized that my income was dependent upon jewelry stores making sales and so i decided to look at different industries and after 25 years of being in the watch and jewelry business at the top of my game on Madison Avenue i said okay let's look around and see what's happening now if you remember the government was shutting everybody down except what they called essential and those essential businesses were like you know food and pharmaceuticals and things like that and I didn't want to work for a pharmaceutical business or a food company. Hey, our, our,
0: our investment fund was seen as an essential, even though I didn't understand that. But our education company was non-essential, which which kind of blew blew my mind because I thought education was more essential. But keep, keep on going.
1: So around May, I think May of 2020, I made a career shift and went into the home improvement business. Now, like, why would you do that? <laughs> well... It was considered essential. Um, we still didn't know what was going to happen, but I had traded. Or did you my do that siblings. because
0: because you had to do something?
1: Had to do something. Look, I got three kids, you know, and even though I'm divorced and my kids don't live with me, I have responsibilities, and so home improvement was something I'd been interested in from the eyes of an investor who wanted to invest in real estate. I wanted to learn more about this because you know I'd I'd been involved in some rehabs, saw how difficult it was to do my own thing or hire contractors. I'd been involved with other real estate investors on you know, fix and flips and wholesaling and buying rentals. So I said, let me do this full time. This is my career now. And I went to work for a company that does windows and doors, did exceptionally well. In the first 12 months, I sold three and a half million dollars, but really got to understand a little bit about the rehab process, what the crews do and, and you know, the, the work required, you know, from manufacturing to installation. Then I went one step further and took that information and and trained salespeople and now opened up a solar business. Because if we're talking energy efficiency, you know, people are looking to lower their bills and how do they do that? Well, there's different ways of of making a rehab, you know, energy efficient.
0: It's funny how how conversations speak, you know, spark conversations, right? So, you know, one of the things we're looking at is, so we've been looking at, you know, some bigger, different farms, right. Um, As an investment vehicle. And so one of the farms we're looking at has uh, no power to it. Right. And so I was talking about, well, how do we play a bigger game? Right. And I think one of the things in my journey of wealth, people don't understand playing a bigger game. They don't understand taking yourself through multiple different levels. Right. And I'll give you kind of an example. So we were on the phone with uh, Facebook this last week. We do advertising, spend a lot of money on advertising with Facebook. Right. And, you know, we're, you know, exploring deeply the research behind investing in the metaverse, right? And and I said, you know, while we're on the phone talking to them about advertising, like, is there anything else you can do for us? I said, well, you guys have spent $22 billion building your metaverse, do you have a metaverse team that I can jump on the phone and talk about advertising and talk about investing in, in the metaverse and what does that look like? And they said yes, right? And so, you know, I'm gonna have a pretty good conversation, you know, next week with uh, some people, you know, from Facebook about their metaverse and about things and exploring their metaverse and stuff, but it's that one step deeper, right? And so I started thinking about you with solar panels and I also think, no, you know how to sell, right? And so now one of the things I love to do for Inner Circle members is when I get a chance to talk with them is to say, hey, but what about solar contracts for solar fields between like counties um, and, you know, independent, you know, uh, I guess you would call it uh, electricity distributors, right? And, And so that would be, you know, something pretty cool if you're working in the solar industry and you can negotiate those kind of deals or those kind of contracts. And then we can go buy, you know, buy the farms to match and put solar fields. Right. Um, And I've seen solar fields out there while I've been looking at farms. So obviously we know, I mean, if you've ever been between California and Vegas, you guys see the largest solar field I've ever seen. I'm sure there's bigger ones, Um, you know, so just just kind of a fascinating food for thought pen to, you know, stick in your hat for for you know, another conversation for us. But I think when you're building wealth, you have to think to that deep next level connectivity, that next level synergy and stuff. Um, you know, I mean, I think that'd be pretty cool to ex- explore that. What do you think, Kevin?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, I think a couple of years ago, you know, someone who won't be named said there'd be a computer in every house and people laughed at him. And now I think you know, someone's going to say, hey, every house or at least half the houses will be able to generate their own power, you know, that's solar. But, you know, you got to think a little bit more deeper than that. What's what's the reason behind it? Is it because we are beholden to monopolies out there, whether it's a pharmaceutical monopoly, an energy monopoly, you know, a food monopoly? We have to think about things long term. And as investors, I'm always looking at what's the thing that's coming up? What will people need? Not necessarily what they want, but what will they need to help them be better?
0: Yeah, I'm always looking for something similar in the sense it's like I want to see what, you know, the way the wind is, is blowing, but before it actually blows. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we're doing the research into the, the metaverse stuff is because, you know, if I could go back and look at crypto, you know, nine years ago, I mean, how many of us would own, you know, a thousand bitcoins today, right? All of us. And, oh. and so, you know, I want to be ahead of, you know, if that's there. And then if I decide not to do it, then, then I've made a educated conscious choice not to do it. Right. And, but. Reality is, is back then when it came to crypto, it was a thing where I was like, you know, I just don't I don't know when I'm a real estate investor and I'm going to stay away from what I don't know. And and there's a large part of me that still has that exact philosophy is I stay away from what I don't know. Um, but there's nothing wrong with getting to know or knowing more stuff. Um, and I think that's that constant exploration of wealth and stuff. For you as you're on, you know, your your continuous journey, like what are you exploring now? What are you how do you see, you know, your investing? How do you see your your world now? Um it's funny because you went through a terrible time in 2020, but I know, you know, just from your investing with us, you're obviously doing a lot better, you know, at the beginning of 2022 than you were in 2020.
1: Well, yeah, I mean certainly just after our inner circle retreat we had in Las Vegas recently, I just did four deals with you guys. So you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in that position.
0: I know you wanted to do five, but. but. <laughs> That's
1: OK. I was I was very quick on the analysis and I was trying to get all the deals submitted as quickly as I could to see how many I could get, you know. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that way. I, I can say that I honestly don't live paycheck to paycheck anymore. And as a not just a real estate investor, but an investor in general, I'm looking for multiple streams of income. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to paraphrase my father a little bit here. When my father, when I was younger, my father had his own business, and he did very well. We had, a, we had a pretty good living growing up. And I remember asking him in the car ride once saying, you know, Dad, you know, do, you, do you want to be rich and famous? And I don't know his exact answer, but his answer was no. I don't want to be rich and famous. I go, why not? Because I want to be like Sam Walton. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, I want to be wealthy and anonymous. And so my mentality thinking was I'm never going to get wealthy. Well, that's we just great. We got
0: you on the podcast. We we'll keep you anonymous.
1: Yeah, so the anonymity is not going to be there. But the point was, you know, I don't want to be the, the NBA star who buys a $10 million home and three years later he's broke. I'd rather live under the radar, you know, like you see in the millionaire next door. I don't buy new cars. I bought a 2015 car, right? And I'm investing. I'm taking my money, investing it with you guys. I'm investing in precious metals. I have an e commerce business, I have a solar business. I'm looking to build multiple streams of income and I'm teaching other people how to do it too. Because you know, if, if they're stuck in a job for forty years, then what? They retire. They take their four hundred one k. Most people die in a couple of years after they retire. What kind of life is that? <laughs> life should be enjoyed and lived.
0: Yeah, it does have to be enjoyed and lived. Like I, when I look at life or business, and I start to look at you know all of the business I ran. I remember there was a time, you know, I was running eleven different businesses at once, and and every single one of them was doing anywhere from hundred thousand to a million in revenue and you know i started to hit some some different ceilings and and you know i was always about trying to figure out what were the exchanges i was always looking at like what's the exchange what's what's the time exchange what's the drama exchange what's the money exchange what's the effort exchange right and all of these things that like when i'm evaluating like where i'm going to put my time and effort it's all into the exchanges and 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 so i look at and I try so I try to evaluate everything when I make decisions. Like a great example is like, you know, I really believe that, you know, there's a time where we could build a rad university, you know, for wealth. But at the same time, I look at the exchanges within our business. And, you know, I told our, our team yesterday, like, we're gonna put this on the back burner for six months before we discuss it again because the exchange didn't make great sense. And so kind of like what you're talking about, you know, you're running multiple streams of income and you you're evaluating the exchanges. And so if I can you know, walk you through, you know, the different evaluation on the different multiple streams of income, you know, there's a lot to pay attention to. There's a lot to watch for. What I see when you get into those multiple streams of income, you'll end up having one that takes up more time and more effort and makes less money. You'll have one that's making great money that carries more drama with it. And then you'll have one that's making money that takes less effort, right? Right. And, and is, is, you know, less drama. Um, and, and, and it's fascinating. Lots of times that's the one that gets ignored. I find with a lot of multiple stream incomers um, more than the other two. Um, and and it's kind of fascinating as you go through your time exchange um, and monitoring your time. I don't know if you've done a, a time map of your personal time, but it's, it's pretty wicked when you actually do a time map of your personal time, like where you are spending your time, where you're spending your effort, where you're spending your energy, um, especially when you're a grinder. Um, And I used to be a grinder for a long time, and I still grind in a lot of ways. There's still a lot of that in me. I mean, I woke up, you know, as a child, I was waking up at 4 a.m. every day doing paper outs, you know, for a decade. And that was, you know, large portion of my childhood nonstop was 4 a.m., you know, 4 a.m. to 5 a.m., you know, four or five days a week. And then twice a week, it was 4 a.m. to to 6 or even 7 a.m. Um, and, and that was, you know, part of the, part of the grind of of my childhood. And so, you know, I know, I know what that grind is like. So talk to me a little bit, how, you know, you're kind of monitoring your different streams of income and how, you know, you're, you're putting effort, time, energy, um, or right now, are you just kind of receiving income from the multiple streams and, then just, you know, kind of embracing, embracing them all because it's, you know, it's a newer thing in your, in your universe, you know, I mean, two years is not new, but it's newer, you know, than, than what it would have been two years ago, that's for sure.
1: Certainly. So here's here's my answer to this. I, I I spend a lot of time doing a lot of things. But you're right. My my primary source of income is from Windows and Doors. You know, that's that's yeah. what I do a lot of. And that's probably where I spend eight to ten hours a day. Now the good news is I'm increasing my passive income versus my earned income, right? So my mm-hmm. passive income is where rad comes into play. So I'll take my earned income, invest it into rad. And so that my real estate earnings as my real estate earnings continue to increase that gives you me choices like do I really need to be spending so much time on one of these do, do I need to be doing windows and doors six days a week 24-7 kind of thing or can I just take that money and invest it into real estate and have my real estate give me choices of time because we'll never make more time. Yeah. You can always make more money but you can never get the time back. And I'm thinking that you know the the time I spend uh, you know as as I said before I'm I'm a divorced father of three my time is really valuable with my kids, just like I know is with your sons. And every two weeks, I drive four and a half hours from New Jersey to Massachusetts to spend a weekend with my kids. I don't do work when I do that. Yeah, my wife, my wife's
0: them? out of town right now, and I've been, you know, working pretty pretty seriously the last the last couple of days on some initiatives. And I'm like, tomorrow I'm not working. Tomorrow I'm taking the boys on jet skis. I'm gonna take them out on the ocean. I'm gonna enjoy some time with them, right? And and I'm gonna surrender to you know, life. And it's not when you when you have that natural hard work ethic kind of DNA in you. um, And I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, No, I never felt any guilty at all when I stopped, you know, when I did when I don't work as hard, or I didn't, I take time off and different things. I'm like, really, that must feel good. Because for a long time, when I would take time off, I I'd almost feel like this weird sense of laziness, this weird sense of guilt. And I don't feel that any I don't have that anymore. But there was a time in my life when I used to kind of go through that that time off, you know, kind of kind of kind of paradigm as I go through, you know, personal, you know, mental evolutions.
1: Certainly. I mean, and every Saturday when I go up to Massachusetts, you know, I sometimes I have like a conference call in the morning for half an hour. And that, matter of fact, this Saturday I'll be leading my team on a on a training for 30 minutes, coaching them. And then I'm like, you know what? Shut off the brain, get in the car, go see the kids and just go, you know, do video games, go axe throwing, go take them to archery, go see a movie. It's father time,
0: right? And it's important it's, to me. I think it's fascinating because you're talking about Saturdays not working, right? And <laughs> a lot of people are thinking about taking a vacation. Um, so it, it, it's interesting. You know, the mental pop is, and if I you know can pop you mentally a little bit, the mental pop is, is when you take that decision and you put the full energy in it, and it's hard to do. There's transitions. There's money that's coming in and different things and it's about figuring out how and finding the exchange of the how but when the time lapse shifts more to the passive income versus the time lapse that shifts to active income and the mental energy that goes goes into it you know there's there's crazy paradigms that begin to change and shift right and it's it's fascinating when you get to that place like right now i'm at a place now if i go spend an hour in a deprivation tank, right? That's more valuable to me um, than eight hours, you know, or twelve hours of, of active working. Um, and you know what it does, you know, mentally. Like right now, if I don't make ten thousand, um, and maybe I need to reevaluate the numbers. We've grown a lot as a company, but a year ago I used to say, if I don't make, if I'm, if the mental work that I'm doing is at ten thousand dollars an hour, then you know somebody's going to lose their job. Right. somebody's going to get laid off or there's a team or an employee or a person, you know, something's, you know, not right. And so I have to think and lift my mindset that way. But then there's your goals. Right. So our goals is to become a billion dollars. You know, an asset is as the next financial, you know, milestone as, as we go through the longer term milestones. And so now I have to start thinking, you know, well, what's 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 that come back to? You know, I have to have mental capacity. Now I've let go of that dollar per thinking per hour kind of kind of thing a long time ago. But it's still to create understanding as people are on this journey, how you start thinking the way. And the mental pop is if you know, you're know, you working towards the passive income, but you're doing active income, right? How do we start to adjust and create more leverage and more activity, right, um, with your passive income? And so, you know, it's definitely, you know, food for thought, you know, as you go forward and stuff and and, and you start to start to start to dive deeper. For you right now, you have passive income working for you, what's, what's your, you know, what's the next, you know, two years, three years, a couple of years for you look like, like, what are the goals? What what are the the active activities?
1: Well, that's, a, that's actually an easy question to answer because I write these down all the time. So within three years, I won't be in New Jersey. I'm in New Jersey now because when I, and I came here in 2020 to get into the home improvement business, that's where the opportunity was, mm-hmm. but that's not going to be forever. You know, I would like to go to a non-state income tax state, like Florida or Texas or maybe Tennessee. That being said, my kids are all in high school. um, So I won't move until they graduate high school. I wanna have maybe multiple um, residences so I can have one near my kids and one where they can come visit say on summer vacations. Um, I would also say that the active income will eventually go away. Mm -hmm. It's not worth my time to do that. Whereas I can invest my time building streams of, of either internet income or passive income through real estate. My goal is to have a portfolio and have that portfolio of real estate, so you know, this, uh, be my lifestyle per se. I don't have to be wealthy. I just need to have enough that it replaces my active income. So I want my time back. Yeah, it's not about it's, the money.
0: Owning your time is 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 interesting, and and it's it's feels really good when you get back to a place where the things that 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 work for you, right? The things that work towards. You know, you being able to be financially free. And some people, you know, are born into money and they're financially free. I was born poor and, and and so, you know, I understand the paradigm and the difference between the two. Um, as you, you know, become more free, you know, what are your hobbies? What are your fascinations? What are you most into? Um, and you know, where do you think, you know, a lot more of your energy and time will go into?
1: Well, it's a great question. And I'll tell you why I frame it this way. My mother died when I was 19. My brothers were very young at the time. And then my father died when I was about 30 and I had just gotten engaged. My, my daughter was on the way. So I know my mortality is limited. We can't you know pick and choose the time of our passing. So my hobby is number one is to be a great father. Number one is to instill in my kids. Bro, I'm making
0: 200 teachings. just, just to be clear, I'm making 200. So, well.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I want to make sure that I give them the gift of knowledge and wisdom and lessons before that time comes, whenever that time is. Now, in addition to that, my hobbies you know, the things what I would do that if I didn't have to work, I would be very active in martial arts. I really enjoyed martial arts as a kid. I played Little League Baseball. I know you were a baseball coach and I played baseball for eight years and I loved it. Probably my most fun sport. Um, I really enjoyed training in martial arts. I did it on and off for about 10 years in multiple disciplines. I also have uh, a cabin up in the woods in Pennsylvania on 80 acres around a lake. Very peaceful place to go. I would spend summers there at my grandparents. And, you know, I'd like to introduce that to my kids. I have to rebuild a house up there before I do that. And so there's there's things I want to do, including travel. Now, when I traveled for five years selling to watch stores, that wasn't fun travel. That was business travel. You know, going to airports every morning at 5 30 in the morning and, you know, being in different airports every day. I'd like to go take my kids on a you know cross-country trip, see all the state parks, maybe buy an RV, go to the Grand Canyon, just travel for three months. You know, but I need to have the time to do that because once you get the money, if the money is all earned from active income, you won't have the time. And so there's a lot to do before my time passes. And hopefully <clears throat> not only will my kids learn it so that they don't have to go through the same kind of struggle, although I think struggles are good for people's character. I want to be able to leave them something that's not money. I want to leave them lessons, wisdom and, and you know, intelligence for their life.
0: Well, leave, leave them some hard tangible assets too. It's always a good good
1: yeah. A rental thing. portfolio.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. My my kids already, you know, have you know money. I don't know where my son Micah always finds money. I don't know, like he finds it on the street, <laughs> finds it in the house, finds it on the couch cushions. It's five years old, and and he, he gives me money like on a weekly basis to, to go invest. And it's fascinating because we don't do we haven't done allowances with them yet. Maybe we should, they're five and six. Um, but even when they have money, they do the 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 tithing, investing, saving, you know, stuff. And it's just fascinating to watch them because when I was growing up, there was no conversations about money other than the fact that, you know, go work and then give the money to my parents was kind of a conversation <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, I don't think kids today have that same, you know, give the money to parent mentality, but maybe, maybe they do, maybe they do. Um, for you, I know you're big into survival. I know you're big into- you know the journey of of you know america being a great country um but i also know that we have threats you know that exist in this world and and so how do you balance that like you're you're on this journey this pursuit of wealth you're on this journey where you're making good income you're working passive versus active income but you're a strong believer in being prepared uh being ready uh, for the worst case scenarios and some people be like well if the worst case scenario is going to happen what's the point of building wealth, because, you know, those things will disappear. So, you know, some of those things, you know, are interesting as you talk through different conversations. So talk, talk me through a little bit, you know, you know, kind of how you balance, you know, being prepared for, for, you know, in the simplest form, uh, a horrific natural disaster. Um, And it's more complicated form, you know, Russia invades, invades Ukraine and, and, and sets off World War Three. So, you know, those, those are, those are pretty insane but both are, you know, within the realm of possibilities in in our world.
1: Certainly. And and look, let's start at the simple scale, right? People have a spare tire in their car. Why? You know, so, you know, I I go one step further in my car. I may have something else. I have jumper cables. I have a reflectorized triangle. I have a flare. You know, I maybe have some, uh, some, some protein bars and some mylar blankets. What if I get stuck on the side of the road in a snowstorm? Maybe I need, you know, something warm to wear. That's just being prepared.
0: I bet you got more than that in there.
1: Probably. <laughs> I might send you a video later about it. You know, but then you take it one step further. What, you know, when, when there were hurricanes in New York City, during Hurricane Sandy, I was living in Queens at the time and working in Manhattan. Hurricane Sandy hit, my kids were in New Jersey, and there was no gasoline for three weeks. Nothing. There was lines. I took pictures, 75 people online with gas cans, 100 cars waiting on the street. Couldn't get gas. And so I couldn't even get to my kids. And my kids were 30 miles away, but I had to cross two bridges to get there, and I needed a vehicle, and I couldn't do it. And as a father, that freaked me out. So I even remember once within three weeks, I had to take a subway to a bus station, take the bus to New Jersey, get my kids, put them back on a bus, and come back to New York City you know, for 24 hours, whatever it was. So I started thinking. It was 2015 I left New York City. And I started thinking further. Now, what happens? You know, during a snowstorm, during a blizzard, we get a lot of nor'easters up here in the Northeast. Power goes out for a couple of days, yeah, and it could be nothing
0: eaten. one year and a complete catastrophe the next year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So now, you know, people don't always think about this, but you know, when there's a hurricane, people run out to the stores. Look what happened when the, when the pandemic happened. You couldn't find toilet paper. For I don't know why people hoarded toilet paper, but. You know, the point is people rush to the stores and grab all the sorts of supplies they can last minute. Why go through that stress? So I started building up things like, you know, having a extra couple cans of food when I go shopping. And I started building up my pantry. I started having things that were good for three or four months. And I started rotating it. Then I started having extra supplies laying around. Now, I'm not talking about paper towels, but I'm talking about other things. I have water containers. You know, I have have something I can put in my bathtub. If there's a hurricane, the water is no longer drinkable. So you can store water. Then, like you said, you know what goes further than that? Power grid failure. I've seen that in the Northeast. Natural disasters. What well,
0: happened? We had at a cyber. It was a cyber attack, right? A few years, yeah. a few years ago, or two years ago.
1: The whole Northeast went power. dark. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I remember, uh, you know, I was divorced. My kids were living in a, in my old parents' house. They had no power for I think four days, and it was winter time. Trees were down. You know, so I'm thinking something simple, like just having wood for the fireplace. Now let's yeah, go the
0: crazy, a step further. The craziest one I ever went through was the floods. I want to say it was floods of 93, I'm guessing was in, in the Midwest, you know, and and you know, essentially there was, you know, water, you know, covered the high school that I eventually went to. I think it was maybe seventh or eighth grade. The high school I was gonna to go to was literally, you know, halfway up the, the second, second story, um, you know, which is you know a good 15 to 20 feet um wow. above, you know, and you know, a lot of the city was devastated and you know they had to fly in water, you know from from you know helicopters. They had to boat things in, and I mean, it, was, it was it was pretty pretty bad. Creeks turned into the Mississippi. It was pretty it was pretty awful. Um, mm. And I just remember, you know, just people you know being desperate. And you wouldn't think that you know you're going to have you know a flood in the Midwest that's going to cause you know complete you know disaster. And I think of the other thing we had ice storms where power would go out and it would shut everything down for days. But back then, people were more prepared than they are today. Just, just flat out. You know, I knew. You know, we had neighbors. We had, you know, relatives. We, you know, even our, ourselves. We had more. You know, that was there, even though we were really poor. So, it's fascinating.
1: You know, I, I, wonder. I appreciate it now, right? But my this, this house I have up in uh, the Pennsylvania mountains. My grandparents had, you know, a fully stocked firewood shed. They had hand tools just in case needed. They had lanterns and candles and a wood burning stove just in case. So now, you know, let's look at some of the threats that are occurring now. Do we think the US dollar is going to last in its current condition with hyperinflation and QE one, two, three, and infinity and the Fed printing money like crazy? And it's not really money, it's currency. But every fiat currency system has failed in history. You go back to the Greeks, the Romans, they've all failed. Every
0: day people don't know what fiat currency is. Explain that to them.
1: So a fiat currency is when the government says, okay, whatever whatever resource we're using as money we're going to replace that by executive decision and that executive decision is a fiat so they just say you know by the order of this fiat we are now making this piece of paper give it some sort of value
0: but, but you know the the gold i mean back you know in Fort Knox backs the american dollar right
1: <laughs> it did until 1971 Thanks to Nixon. So when Nixon took us off the gold standard, now that piece of paper in our wallet is just backed by the good old faith and the trust of the U.S. government. And we all know that faith and trust can erode over time. So you know, what yeah. the dollar buys now is not what it bought in 1971.
0: It's 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 interesting because you look at you know history of currency and money and and you know I, was, I had uh, uh, Rachel Neighbors on and we we're talking about you know history of money and she's you know has a pretty good understanding of, of, you know, wealth and pretty good understanding of crypto and and other things. And she felt pretty strongly, you know, we felt pretty strongly that the crypto was going to become an American currency. You know, there's going to be a a cryptocurrency come, we think released by our government someday. Um, But then I sit here and I deal with the amazing, incredible good people at the sec who do their best to protect investors and to make sure that we stay on pace, you know, the way, the way, you know, doing investing and, and, and receiving investors the right way. And, but I see them, you know, they're working diligently to keep up with the crypto world and to sort of think that our fed is somehow going to do a crypto, you know, a cryptocurrency. It's hard to imagine because, you know, it's really hard for government and legislature to keep up with technology. It's not, you know, an individual person's fault. It's just the speed at which technology goes past what a government policy or regulation or or can do is is you know it's kind of tumultuous
1: yeah certainly and and look crypto you know obviously people measure things against bitcoin but all these other altcoins whether it's ethereum or something else you know there is value there people are trading it people are mining it things are trading back and forth and so you know as a means of exchange if it's being used it's being used and so if the us dollar in its current situation collapses then what you know my fear, and I hope this never happens, but my fear is we're gonna have a, a three-day weekend, like a Memorial Day weekend. And on you know, Friday afternoon the stock market's gonna close, we're gonna go into a holiday weekend, and all of a sudden there's gonna be something. The bank shut down, it'll be like Cyprus. They freeze accounts like they did in Canada. And now all of a sudden you can't get your money, and then you go back on Tuesday because they're closed on Monday, and all of a sudden your accounts frozen. Then what are you gonna do? Yeah,
0: I mean, it's one of the reasons I've always, you know, like I believe. And then buying real estate, because I believe that no matter what happens in the universe, money goes up, money goes down, economy goes up, money, economy goes down. Um, people always need a place to do business. People always need a place to live. And that's always housed by real estate. And so for me, I've always believed that no matter what happens in the world by owning real estate and by owning a company that owns real estate. Right. It's one of the better ways for us to safeguard you know, our future. When it comes to you know even in the worst economic situations i also kind of believe that you know when foreign powers are buying american real estate and, and buying american businesses i think that's dangerous for us um as 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 a country and, and and it's not my favorite thing um and you know we do have foreign investors and i don't you know I I will never say that, you know, we don't have, you know, any foreign investors who invest with us, but those foreign investors are still investing in our company, which is an American company. And then our company is also buying American American real estate. And so it's still an American company owning American real estate. And so for me, I've always thought of, you know, 99% of our investors, you know, being Americans buying back, you know, America um, and buying it away from, you know, the the foreign interests um, that, you know, are allowed by our government to have interest, you know, in, in in America in ways that I, you know, I don't think is, you know, necessarily right. Um, and it's one thing for an individual person to buy a piece of property um who maybe has dual citizenship um and, and those kind of things. It's another thing um for a major billion-dollar corporation to buy real estate in America or buy business is in America and take away American assets. So something, you know in a, in a, we love the world, every, every, you know, country's in it, you know, to win it for, for, you know, together for the universe, I think is, is, is a naive, naivety. Um, in my opinion, um, because if you've been alive long enough, there are people in the world who want to do good and believe in doing good and believe in helping their neighbor and believe in being a good neighbor, but there's just as many, or there's enough of the people in the world who believe the opposite. And so, you know, to, to, live in any other you know, belief is I think, I personally think it's a fantasy.
1: Yeah, I certainly agree. I mean, look, we. I sent you that article the other day where you know, a, a foreign company was buying up a big swath of Dakotas to produce corn and other materials related to corn. We know that farmland in Texas has been purchased by foreign powers, right? We know that big parts of California have been bought too.
0: And when foreign powers own farmland in America, what does that mean? What does that say? You know, what it says to me, is that now the American food supply is controlled by a foreign power, and if American food supply is controlled by a foreign power, that puts all of us at risk at any point in time, and it puts us at risk in a lot of different other ways. And so, when I look at I me mean, you go deep down the conspiracy theory and say COVID was intentional and done by a foreign power, right? Um, but you can say that that maybe, and 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 that's fascinating. You know, when you think of a lot of things in the world, when people describe things that lots of times I say maybe, but if it was, you know, what other potential threats, you know, do we face that we don't know about, or we we're not aware of in different ways. And if, you know, there are foreign powers that have literally have written plans to overthrow capitalism. And if they have those written plans, if they have those manifestos, you know, how do we continue to, you know, allow them to have influence within our country? I'm not saying we need to go to war with them. I'm not saying we need to attack them, but to allow them to start, continue to take control and interest and continue to have influence within our country, you know, does, doesn't make sense. And I know, you know, we're about exploring wealth here, but what happens when our wealth is leaving our nation?
1: Mm-hmm. Certainly. And that's why, that's why I love that you guys were doing the American Survival Project, you know, have something where you're growing your own food, you have income producing farms, take back some of the controls, so you're no longer at the Disposal and, and under control of a foreign power growing our food supply or our pharmaceutical supply or any other supply you know we we need to be independent, not just energy independent but food independent, water independent, land independent, currency independent. and it's it's a scary thought to think that, you know, yes, we are a melting pot, and look, my mother came from the philippines so i'm I'm a descendant of an immigrant. Mm-hmm. but there's you know something different between immigration and foreign powers taking control of certain aspects of the American culture,
0: yeah, and I, I'm You know, like it's hard. It's always hard politically because people fall on different sides of fences all the time. And so, you know, but I, you know, I'm I'm a massive. I've always been a huge believer in proper immigration. You know, into into the United States. And 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 I also believe that when people need help, you help them, right? Um, But there's a difference between that and allowing, you know, foreign multi-billion-dollar conglomerations that are backed or run by governments to, you know, take influence. And and so, you know, there's there's good, and then there's you know, protection and and so there's a unique, it's a unique dynamic balance to, to, to have it done the right way. One of the things I, I love to do, Kevin, is we have a lot of, um, you know, people watching um, that are, you know, live. Um, I know we had other Inner Circle members who, you know, jump on to to hear these podcasts and things. And I just kind of want to take a moment to see, you know, if some of them have any engagement or questions they want to ask you. Um, sometimes we have people pre-submit questions. Do we have any pre-submitted questions for this uh, one? All right, let's start with the chat. Okay, so in the chat asked this- By the way, everybody, this is Zach Hernandez. He's our uh, producer you know for our for our, our radcast podcast um and he's been doing an incredible job, but I've never properly introduced him you know um to all of you and you suddenly hear his voice um we'll flip the camera around but if you go on the website, you can see his pretty face um at least his wife believes he's pretty uh, and only my wife believes I'm pretty so um and so but Zach, go ahead. Uh, So, So, a
1: question from Felipe It says, What made you join where I diversified and invest in the real estate deals? In other words, what made you decide going to join and invest with
0: them? Yeah. So, the question from Felipe was just kind of like I'm just going to paraphrase Felipe, you know, your trigger, right? When you, you know, you'd observed us for years, right? Before you got involved. And, you know, there was a day and there was a time when you pulled the trigger, when you said, Okay. All right, uh, it's time so what was that trigger for you? what was that trigger for you what was, what was that moment
1: There was two things the really defining moment so once again i had i had been in the retail world for a long time and really because i had lost my mother at an early age i dropped out of college and did not pursue my dreams of going into the military becoming an attorney so i remember sitting in one of my stores it was the week of christmas and it was like maybe the thursday night before christmas or the friday before christmas weekend and I'm in my store at like eight thirty nine o'clock at night, not seeing my kids right before Christmas. So I'm like, this is dumb. I am wasting my life. I'm sitting in a freaking store waiting for someone to come in and buy something when I should be playing with my kids and doing something related to Christmas, right? So I said, I need to find a way out of here. Now yes, I've been following you guys for a long time. And back then, you know, when it was tax auction investors and I was looking at how to buy things through auction, I had also done some things on my own. like I had Tried to do some wholesaling. I had done some fix and flips. I had tried to do the Kevin way, and the Kevin way wasn't working. So when I found that you guys already had a system, and I'd been watching you for years, and I saw your your process on that Philadelphia trip, and I saw that you have a whole team of people. You do the contracting, you do the permits, you do the rehabs, you you have everything set in place, you do the financing. All you have is you you allow people in the inner circle to come in and partner with you you're gonna do all the stuff that would normally take up my time and probably years of of learning to get the expertise. And all of a sudden I'm I'm getting a return on my money much quicker than me trying to do something on my own in five years.
0: You know, I had one of those moments too, Kevin. And I think those moments when people look at their lives are critical. I mean, I think they're some of the most important, pivotal moments of your life, right? And I remember mine was New Year's and I wanna say I was 24. And I was New Year's and I was valeting at a restaurant on New Year's. Um, You know, I had finished college. I'd coached college baseball for two years. um, But, you know, I'd broken up with my uh, high school sweetheart. I was um, in this perpetual grind. Uh, I was a little bit lost and I was, you know, I had to make money. And, you know, I was valeting at a restaurant at New Year's. I remember seeing these people celebrating their New Year's inside this restaurant. And, you know, it was a pretty influential, you know, of people and influential you know restaurant i remember just saying man this is not my story this Mm -hmm. is not my life and i just remember looking at it in that moment and and you know having the moment of trigger and i there's other moments in my life but I, i so vividly remember those people celebrating and I'm standing outside and I just, you know, I'd valet all of their cars and I'm getting ready because, you know, not that long after midnight, people are going to start leaving. But just, you know, seeing that and being by myself and realizing that's this is, this is not the life that, I, that, that I'm going to lead. Right. So to be able to be, you know, one of those avenues for you to step into, you know, your life is, is you know, really, it's really a blessing, you know, and I'm very happy to be a part of that for you. Um you know, those stories, when it comes to life and, and we use the word wealth a lot, but life, life is, you know, as, as just as an important word. And so those stories in life, it just all depends on what story you're going to tell. And I know so many people used to tell the 08 pain story and they hadn't recovered from it and they don't get through grief. And I've never read five stages of grief. You got to, because you got to, you got to process, you got to process through it and you'll tell a different story when you've processed. And I look at 2020, there's a lot of people, you know, I get emails from time to time from people that are like, you know, I lost my job or, you know, the income dried up. Um, and, you know, and now, you know, it's 2022 and they're still living that same nightmare. And I, I see that, you know, you went into that nightmare for a few months, but then you stepped out of it and you stepped into a new life and a new world and crazy of respect for it. But so when people are in that, they're in that stuck phase, it, it, it's mind blowing how difficult the next step is. And, and I think the five stages of Greece would be one of my huge pieces of advice for people. But my other piece of advice would be rewrite the story. Write the story of, 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 of you know, what you choose and what your empowerment is. Don't write the story of the, the victim, um, even, even if you were a victim, right? Um, because to continue to live in the victim stories is, is not a, not a life that, that I think anybody in the world would, would want to choose. Um, but let's, let's jump into the next question. Uh, The person standing in 2020 shoes. What one change from first step would you advise them? Could you guys hear that on the on the Zoom, or do I need to repeat it?
1: I couldn't hear it all.
0: So he said, "Hey, Kevin, what what one change was the person in the 2020 shoes, right? What would the person today give that person? You know, what advice would you give yourself, or give that person that you were in 2020? What 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 would be the one thing? You know, what would be the advice you'd give yourself?"
1: Hmm. It's a great question. The answer is let go and trust God. So here's, let me explain that. 25 years I spent in the watch and jewelry industry. 25 years, that was my identity. In other words, I was the watch and jewelry industry. I was well-known in the business. I worked on Madison Avenue. I had run a store that was one of 435 stores in the world. And I not only became number one in the United States, I actually started to beat Paris, which had never happened before for this brand. And there were two stores in Hong Kong I couldn't catch because it was a very different business model. But for me my identity was watch and jewelry and I had to let go of that and say okay Kevin you're at a pivotal turn in your life what are you going to choose are you going to choose to hold on to your identity of a watch and jewelry guy or are you going to choose to do what's right for your family and do what's right for your life step into your power and go look for something yeah it's scary but try something new i took a job at 100% commission no salary tried something new and it worked out because i was driven to do it now so my advice to anybody is be able to let go. Trust in yourself, trust in God, and do something else that's different.
0: Yeah, letting go is 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 definitely a a, a tangible real trait for people that is that is very um it can be very challenging. And I always say is to be a true entrepreneur, you have to move into the unknown. It's the only way to be a real entrepreneur. And in order to do that, you've got to let go and trust. Um and you got to surrender on the result um and be in the moment. I used to struggle with that because you know, a couple of times in my life when I was younger, I'd worked to the absolute maximum capacity of my abilities and then burn out or failed and and so you know as once I became an entrepreneur it was something that I had to learn or I had to persevere through um and 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 push through and and but when you're thinking you're persevering through or pushing through you're almost building a barrier or a wall there you know when you when you realize that those things that you believe you're pushing through or you're trying to persevere through don't exist then then it it becomes you know, simpler and easier. And what I mean by they don't exist is they've already happened. They don't, they're not, they're That not an actual reality, right? Things in the past aren't a current reality. They're just the past. And so those are, those are things, it doesn't mean that the past isn't a part of who you are today or the past isn't, you know, relevant information today, but it's not real anymore. It's, it's gone. And then, and that's a, it's a fascinating thing for people, you know, and, and the future doesn't exist yet. So it, it, it's the reality, and, and I know we all say you know the be present teaching, but you know as you get deeper into that and understand it more, you know that that mental processing is is a different um, existence, a different existence, and and I have never found a way to do it other than trusting God. Um, you know others may may find ways to do it, but for me, it's to let go of those other two things. It's the only way I've ever been able to do it. So, go ahead, Zach. Another question. Uh, is there any other big institutional <clears throat> investors like Vanguard or BlackRock, et cetera, that own part of RAD Hey, that it's a really that's a really great question. Uh, the question is it's a question for me. Um, besides, you know, foreign investors, um, are there any other, you know, major institutional uh, that companies that own a large part of RAD or you know, a good chunk of RAD or, or, or those kind of things? So let, let me be let me be crystal clear. We have some foreign investors, they do not own a large chunk or a large portion. Of, um, of RAD, right? Um, we have some Canadian investors. We have, uh, you know, a decent amount of uh, Brazilian investors for whatever reason. And we have a, a handful of Chinese investors, but I'd say they're 1% of the total investors, you know, you know, with RAD. Um, and, you know, I fascinated and watch um, what that experience is like. Now the question about big institutions investing in RAD and big institutions being a part of RAD, the answer is no, we don't have any major uh, institutions or or organizations uh, that I'm aware of that have any influence or any uh, major investments, major investments with RAD. So um hopefully that answers that. Next question. Uh, this, is a, this is a question for Kevin. Uh, what books do you, are you reading right now? What books would you recommend? Hey Kevin, just give me your books. That's what they're asking. What 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 now? <laughs> what in the past? Give give us give us give us don't give us the 127 Thousand library, but give us give us you know the one through five.
1: I'll keep it simple. So you know, I, I do have probably five hundred to a thousand books, but the ones I recommend to everybody. So Millionaire Next Door tells you how people became millionaires, and it wasn't through you know extravagant things; it was by being smart with their money. Obviously, rich dad, poor dad, and that's why you know you would need to do something and move out of the employee quadrant and move into doing something else. And then the third one that's always been my favorite is the seven habits of highly successful people, right? And each one of those seven habits are important, right? I don't want to go through them all, but let's just say, begin with the end in mind. What is it you really want? Do you want to be an employee for 40 years or 50 years and die broke? Then by all means, if that's what you want, then do it. I didn't yeah, I, want that.
0: <laughs> I can never be thankful enough to a, 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 a marketing professor in college that required uh, the seven habits of highly effective people. And it kind of blows my mind that even today, you know, 20, 20, 22 years later, that, that, how true um, that books hold. And probably I need to put that on my, you know, reread, reread, reread list. Um, which I've always been a person who hates to rewatch a movie, rewatch a TV show, rewatch a <laughs> reread a book. But that's one of the ones that I think I have to, it's up there with four agreements for me for sure. So um, what else? Um, that's pretty
1: So, okay. Sorry. Tell us why you decided to be a part of the American spies
0: Project. So they're asking just a little bit about ASP um and your choice to be a part of American Survivalist Project and and you know kind of what that means to you. Um, feel free to fill us in on that.
1: Okay. So let me go well, back tell people
0: to people what American Survivalist Project is, because you know, I don't know how well or deep everybody everybody knows. So
1: Well, so and I'll I'll paraphrase a little bit and you can jump in. But for me, the American Survivalist Project was this opportunity where, you know, RAD as a, as a REIT was diversifying into other you know forms of investments. And so you were looking at a at back then it was a 454 acre, you know, income producing farm and ranch in Idaho. And I love the idea of it because I'm thinking, okay, great. Not not only is it strategically important because a lot of people are moving out of California and Washington and they're moving towards you know that area. You know, so I know that real estate was appreciating like crazy. And that particular part of Idaho was probably probably one of the top three you know growing places in the country. But a place to have not only your own food, but a place to have your own shelter, a place to go. And we're not talking like, oh, I'm going to bug out and hunker down. I'm going to be in the caves and fight like the guys in Afghanistan. But I'm thinking it's a really smart idea to have property that's remote, that's outside of a metropolitan center, that's outside of maybe a natural disaster area, maybe away from the California fault lines. You know, Smart place to have lots of land. And And the California fire lines. Exactly.
0: I actually think fire is the greatest natural disaster threat in in California. Now that could be partnered with a major earthquake, um, but maybe it's because I haven't experienced one in the twenty years of, I was, you know, living in California.
1: So it's coming eventually. <laughs> and yeah. i have I have a lot of family in California. I have family from Sacramento all the way down to to L.A., down to even Carlsbad in San Diego. Probably twenty cousins in California. So I I go there often and I talk to them often. But I'm like, guys, what's going to happen if you know California? Forget about the you know 11 or 12 percent state income tax, you know. But some of the policies in California, people are leaving, and I, I know some very wealthy people have left California for Texas and Florida. You know, I might be talking to one, but there's there's a, a reason that the American Survivalist Project was so attractive to me because I have land in Pennsylvania, and that land in Pennsylvania, I can't go there year round. It's really cold in the wintertime. right? I can't grow food there, but it is a nice place to go and relax. But to have the idea of having a secondary location or a third location or a fourth location where you have you know some storage, you have some supplies, you have some food, you have you know a camaraderie of people around you who are like-minded, that was very attractive. And not just in terms of my personal safety and security, but in terms of a business model. It's brilliant for a REIT to invest in something like that because that's what people want. People are looking for that.
0: Yeah. Awesome, brother. Well, thank you for being on today. Um, you share, you know, a great many values and a great many beliefs that I have, and and you know I hope to continue to, you know, support you and be there, you know, as you as you continue on on your journey and stuff. And I'm so glad to see, you know, I just remember, you know, the Kevin I met in 2018, and and you know I respected him and and you know believed in him, and and so I don't mean to, you know, speak any anything other than positively, you know, about who you once were, but I also know that the Kevin that I know today has gone through so many evolutions and it's pretty incredible. And, you know, thank you for letting me, you know, be a part of your, part of your journey with that.
1: Well, thank you, Dutch. I mean, I look up to you. I've learned a lot from you and over the past few years, I've evolved probably because I wanted to be a part of this community and this group. And so I look forward to many more years together. All
0: right, brother. Well, it's a wrap. Great job. I mean, that was a really good podcast. I think there's some incredible nuggets and information for people as they review and watch it. And, and I, you know, love that, you know, what you shared. So appreciate you, brother.
1: Thank you, Dutch. Appreciate you too.
0: Talk to you soon. All
1: right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the
0: Rad Podcast, an exploration of wealth. For more information, please visit our website, www.raddiversified.com. We'd
1: love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing.